Thank you, Temi. What the world needs now is love. We, we, we know that, don't we? But the question is, what is love? And that's one of the major things that are confusing people today. Put that down, get myself sorted. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I was thinking, well, what, what is love? There's many different opinions on what love is, and there's a lot of confusion about what's loving and what isn't loving. I mean, often we get accused as Christians of the church of being unloving, judgmental, homophobic, or Islamophobic, or puritanical. And uh, people saying, you know, you're the church, but you don't, you're not loving, you don't act loving, you don't speak loving. And so we need to address some of these issues today, which I intend to do. When I was thinking about what people thought about what love is out there in the world, one of the things that I was reminded of was a series of cartoons that I remember looking at very much during the 1970s. And they were the Love Is cartoons by Kim Castle. And uh, she wrote these series of cartoons. She was quite a shy girl, but an art artist. And she wrote them for the man who was going to be her husband. And he kept them all. And they became world famous. So I intended to go and look these up and try and find the silliest one I could to show how people out in the world don't have a clue about what love is. 
But actually, as I began to read them, I began to enjoy them. Uh, I've got a couple up here for you to see, so you might recognize them. Love is a lazy morning sleep in. Couldn't, couldn't say that to the nine o'clockers this morning. but And then, love is pooling your loose change for pizza the day before payday. And I kept looking at them, and I, got so in, I enjoyed them so much I bought the book. So yesterday, I was just reading them as we were having coffee with my wife at breakfast. So I was reading, love is not picking the most expensive dish on the menu. <laughs> Conviction. Here's a nice one. Love is telling her she's beautiful in the morning. And I, that, I was ring all morning yesterday. <laughs> then here's one the wife said that's for you. Love is picking up after yourself. <laughs> Love is waiting up when he's working overtime. Love is not reading in bed for hours. Anyway, we... we <laughs> It, it's a great book. We, we, could, uh, we could be reading that. But love is what? If you, if you had to uh, fill in the definition, fill in the three dots, love is, what would you put and what would you mean by it? I was thinking, as I look out the world and the way that the world perceives us as Christians and the way that the world thinks, I was thinking, well, what, what do they mean by love? And I thought, well, one way or one way that you tend to think that people think about love is that love is a free-for-all. In other words, love is letting people believe what they want and do what they want without challenging it. So the idea being, I can think what I want and believe what I want and I can live as I want and how I want and if you challenge that in any shape, way or form, then challenging that is unloving. So any assertion of the Christian gospel or faith or life or living that it is true for everybody, no matter what background they come from or what race or what religion, that the gospel and its truths are true for anyone can often seem to people unloving because it challenges them right where they are. And if you challenge the way I think or you challenge the way that I act, then you must therefore be unloving. Where, of course, if the truth is the truth and it's done in real love and concern for somebody else, sometimes... I know, I mean, before I get into the message even, sometimes love can be the most challenging thing in the world. Isn't that right? But when we come to Scripture, and especially the New Testament, and we read it, love is what? Well, immediately I turn in my mind to that great passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4 where it begins, love is. And uh, it's a great passage read often at... Marriage ceremonies, I'm going to read it to you today. Love is, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. What a powerful passage that is. And when you hear it read, and, and it is very appropriate for a wedding, you hear that read, you can sort of think, as we did with the cartoons, ah, oh, that's lovely, that's good, that's whole. But 
to turn those characteristics of love into our lifestyle, our actions, our reactions, our thoughts and our mindset. That's the thing that we need to come to grips with today. You see, love is the characteristics of God. God is love, 1 John 4, 8 says. So these characteristics I've just read in that passage, those are God's characteristics. These are not only the characteristics of God and and God's son, Jesus, is the embodiment of all these characteristics that I read and more that describe love. But these are characteristics of God and therefore they are characteristics of his kingdom and his kingdom people. We've looked at the Olympics in the last few weeks and there you see all these different nations with all their different cultures and the way that some over-celebrate and the way that some under-celebrate and the way that they deal with one another. It's their culture. Well, God has a culture and a kingdom and people should be able to recognize who is from the kingdom of God by their characteristics of love. Some of these that I've just read to you before, their kingdom characteristics. And so people, children of God's kingdom, are to show the characteristics of God in their lives. Now I'm going to read that passage again, but I'm going to read it from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4. I'm going to read it from the message translation. Because the problem is these powerful scriptures on love can sometimes just wash over us. We've heard them before, we've heard them at weddings, they're nice uh, sentiments, but do they really impact us and cause there to be a radical kingdom change in our lives. And sometimes reading the message, excuse me, the message version is good because it's so fresh and comes at it in a different way. So here's the message version. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't what want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. You know, love never dies, and love always wins. Love can never be defeated. So the question when we read about these wonderful characteristics is how do these characteristics, these attitudes and actions and reactions, how do they actually work in a believer's life? Well, the first thing I want to say about how, the, how, how to grow in love in your Christian life is that Paul speaks about love as a fruit. We'll come to that passage in a minute. He says, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Then he goes on to some other descriptions we'll come to. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. So love is supernatural and love comes from God. In Galatians as well, Paul talks about the law. Because when I read these characteristics of love, 
It's not like here's an, a, a, some things that you have to do better in. Try harder at patience. Try harder at being kind. Try harder at forgive, forgiving. Make yourself do these things like it's a whole bunch of new laws. But these aren't laws. They're, they're the, fruit of the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And when Paul sums up the whole of the Old Testament, the whole of the Lord, you know what he says? He says, the whole of the law, its whole intentions and best aims, the law of Moses, is summed up in one word in the statement, love your neighbor as yourself. You take the whole Old Testament and say, well, what is its meaning for today? What's its high message? Love your neighbor as yourself. But when Jesus spoke about loving your neighbor, he also gave the first bit, didn't he? which was love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law and the prophets. In other words, Jesus is saying this is the message of the Old Testament. And so the important thing to understand about these two aspects is that you can only begin to love others supernaturally when you begin to love God first. You see, the more that we love God means the more that we trust God. Love is embedded in trust issues. So when you begin to love God, what happens is you begin to increase in trusting him. You trust him in your personal life. You trust him in your circumstances. You trust him with your future. You begin to walk and trust with the Lord that he is your source and that he is in control of all things. And because God is in control of all things, you begin to pray to the God who's in control of all things that his will would come from heaven to earth and that his will would be done. You see, when we look at some of these characteristics of, of, of love, not giving up on people, uh, not putting yourself first, um, not keeping the score of sins of others, not reveling when others grovel, uh, putting up with everything, patience, kindness, uh, humility, all these types of things. A lot of people, when they look at these, they think, well, they're wonderful sentiments, wonderful ideas, but hey, I'm living in the real world. I'm living in London in 2016. And you tell me to be kind and to be patient and to be humble and forgiving, and uh, it's dog-eat-dog dog in London. I tell you what, I'd get ripped up. I'd be, a, I'd be a carpet over which people would walk. I, I can't express these things. Or we'd like to express these things. But when we get in the rough and tumble of life with those that are around us and situations, all these sentiments, right in that difficult circumstance, right in that hard uh, place with that hard person, these types of sentiments tend to fly out the window and then... Uh, we get our fists up and we give as good as we get and maybe even a bit more in order to sort out the situation. What's the problem? The problem is, is that we don't trust God enough to be able to sort the situation out if we follow his characteristics. In other words, it's like this. Well, I'd love to express love in this scenario. I'd love to grow in love, in love Lord, but if I do, I'm not going to get what I want. If I do, that person is going to trample over me. If I do, uh, it's going to fail. I'm going to be a loser instead of a winner. God, do you want me to be a loser in every circumstance instead of a winner? If I, if I act in this way, 
if I have these attitudes and if I react in the ways of love, then I'm going to be a loser, not a winner, and then everyone's going to take advantage of me. This is the way that we can think about the characteristics of love. But what we're really saying is this, God, you're not in control. God, if I act like you would act, I'm going to be a loser, not a winner. God, I can't trust you to fix the situation or take me through the circumstances. If I carry your attributes, I'm not going to get to the end. It won't work. Love will fail. Love will not get me what I need. Love will not be victorious. But what we're actually demonstrating is a lack of trust in God who is completely in control of everything all of the time. But when we begin to trust God, that releases us to be free to be the loving person that God wants us to be. Why? Because God is in control. Because even if acting in love seems at first not to work, God is in control. And if we act according to his kingdom principles, we will get his kingdom results. Sooner or later, love will win. Love never fails. Think about that. It's the one thing that God promises us. Love and acting in love will never fail us. Now, let's go to Galatians chapter 5, to the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, I just want to pause there before we look at the other descriptions of love. Because this says the fruit of of the Spirit. It's singular, not plural. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, the other words are descriptions of what love is. The whole sermon is talking about love is, or what is love? Well, here we find that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Well, what does love look like? Well, love is joyful. Love is peace. Love is patient. Love is gentle. Love is good. Love is faithful and, and believing. Love is meek and love has self-control. Against such things there is no law. In other words, here's another set of attributes. And again, the problem is, is that we get so familiar with these words that we fail to see that these are some of the most powerful characteristics of the kingdom of God lifestyle and the most powerful description of Jesus himself that we could possibly find. Part of that lies in, in the, the English translation isn't as powerful as it might be in some of these words. So, for example, patience. Patience, the Greek word is makrothumia. It means long-tempered. Like having, you know, somebody has a short fuse, fly off the handle at any moment, someone's got a long fuse. It's talking about keep on keeping on. This was a word that was used about Roman soldiers because they would never give up. They would never surrender. They would keep on keeping on fighting the battles until they won the war. It's a very, very, very strong uh, attribute and characteristic of the kingdom of God. And then others as well are, are very powerful here. For example, gentleness is, is not some sort of doormat figure. Gentleness is the word prautes. This word was used of great and powerful kings and warriors. And it was how they had their strength and power under control. And how that although they were all powerful, that they treated those under them 
with gentleness, care, and respect. They had priorities. So gentleness is really referring to how you treat people that are under your command. If you're a boss or a leader or if you're, if you're a parent, those that are under your authority, the fruit of the Spirit that is to be powerfully used there is priorities, gentleness, strength under control, using your authority for the benefit of those that are under you. Now, if we go back a little bit in Galatians, we've looked at the fruit of the Spirit, and I can't go through every fruit with you today. I just want to show you a, a, a sort of panorama of the lie of the land that God wants us to take in our own hearts and lives. But if you go a little bit earlier on, just before the fruit of the Holy Spirit, in verse 19 to 21, you have what we call the works of the flesh. Now, the works of the flesh are the opposite to the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And the works of the flesh are trying to make life work without God's help. And trying to make life work without doing it God's way. And Paul is actually speaking to Christians. He's saying to them, look, this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is how you'll navigate your way through life successfully with the successful characteristics of somebody who is a child of the kingdom. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's 1 Corinthians 13. But the flesh, he is saying, the flesh is the way that you would live life before you knew God. The flesh is, is make, trying to make life work as if there is no God and he has no power and he doesn't hear prayer. That's the flesh. And some of you, he says, some of you Christians, you're in danger of working life in the old ways as if God is not in control. You're not loving God in order to love your neighbor, but you're doubting God. You don't think God will work the works of love. You don't think love will succeed. You don't think that God is in control. And therefore, you exert your own power, your own strength, your own manipulation, your own reactions to try and sort the problem out yourself. And it's a beautiful summary. I'm going to read it in the message version again. A beautiful summary of how people live, whether they realize it or not, without God or without reference to him. Message version. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never satisfied wants. A brutal temper. An impotence to love or to be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Later on, it says that whatever you sow, you will reap. In other words, he's saying, if you're a kingdom person, a kingdom child, and you're not growing in the kingdom characteristics, 
acts, then don't expect the kingdom results and don't expect to inherit from the kingdom the blessings that are meant to flow through your kingdom characteristics. That's what he's saying to them. If you live like the world, don't expect to get the kingdom of heaven results. These are powerful things. But as I've said, don't think that love is somehow, that somehow today I'm saying try harder, do better. That the nine fruit are the nine new laws. Be more patient. Try harder. Put a smile on your face and be a bit more joyful for goodness sake. Be good. Have faith. Self-control. You know, it doesn't work like that. This is a fruit. It works organically. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is grown out of the soil of the believer's heart. Do you know, when you became a Christian, something supernatural happened in the deepest part of your life. You became born again. A new creation, a new nature, a brand new heart. Jesus, when he told the parable of the sower, said, The sower sows the seed. The seed is the word of God, and the different soils is the human heart. When you're born again, you're given a new heart with the richest soil, where God's seed can germinate and produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to make sure that that our soil keeps soft and and gentle and ready to receive the seed of God's word so that this fruit can begin to come out of our lives organically. The greatest sermon on how to allow the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, to come out of our lives is the sermon that Jesus preached called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is all about how to live so that you can bring forth the fruit of love's characteristics in your life as a kingdom believer. That's why trying to fix it on the outside is not enough. In fact, it doesn't work. In fact, that's what people try to do by following the law. It says that if you have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, then there is no law that is against it. Why? Because the law works through effort. But God works through changed hearts on the inside. Legalism and religion works from the outside in. But the Holy Spirit works from the inside out. God's greatest work in your life is on the inside. And the Sermon on the Mount is full of this. He begins with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek. uh, Blessed are the peacemakers. What are these? These are the attitudes of a loving person. They are the attitudes of love. He he speaks about the Pharisees and he says, you don't commit the outward act, but you do in your heart. You don't commit murder, but you commit murder in the anger that's in your heart. You don't commit adultery. You don't commit the act, but in your heart. You don't steal, but in your heart your heart. When you give, you give so that everybody sees what a giver you are to show how holy you are. But God looks on the heart when you do it in the secret place. When you pray, you want everybody to see how holy you are, the fruits of your holiness. But God looks in your heart and the fruit of your true holiness is what happens in the secret place. You worry and you fight about 
material resources and, 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 and trying to, to get ahead of one another, all the works of the flesh, but that your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him and says, seek first the kingdom and all these things everybody's fighting about will eventually come your way. If he can look after the birds and, and the flowers, why can't you trust him to look after you? You see, in order to be free to release the characteristics of love that are within us, we need to be trust that God is in control. Also, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is exactly that. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is supernatural. You, you, don't, you can't come to the fruit like this. Oh, well, even before as a believer, I was always known as a very patient man. Even before I was a believer, I, I, I was always a kind man. I was, I was always good to my neighbours. No, no, this isn't a human attribute or a human characteristic. This is supernatural. The fruits of the Holy Spirit are as supernatural as the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. We, we, many Pentecostals, we can name... The nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. We can go through the faith and the tongues and the interpretation and the miracles and the prophecies. We, we can go through those and, and those powerful, powerful supernatural gifts of the Spirit. But how many of us here today and watching on the internet, how many of you could, without reference to your Bible, name the nine fruit of the Spirit? The nine fruit. And they'll then name them and understand what they really mean. That's not to chastise us, but that's to make the point that if these are the main characteristics of God, what we read of the fruit of the Spirit, what we read in 1 Corinthians, if these are the main characteristics of the kingdom of God and the main characteristics that they were meant to be of the children of the kingdom of God, shouldn't these things be our priority? You know, I think that when we come across people with high levels of demonstrations of the fruit of love in all its different forms, love is kind, love is uh, forgiving, all, all these things that we've briefly gone over, that you would be more amazed by, the f by a high level of the fruit of the Spirit than you would by a gift of the Spirit. When s I don't know about you, but when someone... I am more amazed when somebody has treated me grace graciously when I, when I didn't deserve it, than if someone gets healed. You know what I'm saying? When someone treats you, when you actually get to, to take a bite, if I can use that phrase, to take a bite of genuine fruit of the Spirit in someone's life, do you know, it's the most wonderful taste in the world. And it's usually when someone can, can do a bad thing for you and they do a good thing for you. Is the most wonderful thing. What the world needs now, I can't sing it, that's why we had Temi early. What the world needs now is what we're talking about today. That's what it's need, that's what it's crying out. The, the, the man that was in the car park we heard earlier on today who, who just felt love all around him. It was a manifestation of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They can't be imitated. Uh, this, we're not Christmas trees, we're fruit bearers. You know, Christians are not Christmas trees. That would be a Pharisee. You know, you cut down a real Christmas tree. The moment you cut it down, it's dying. But then you put it up for Christmas and you decorate it. And it looks beautiful. But all the things you've put on it are not organic. They may look beautiful, but they're not part of the tree. Uh, the tree's beauty began to diminish the moment that you cut it down. 
that's not the way. But organically, in my garden, I have an apple tree, and I love the apple tree. I'm even eating apples off it right now because it's an edible apple tree. You don't have to cook it first. And, you know, that, I never see signs of exertion by that apple tree. As long as it's in a healthy environment, it's an apple tree, it's a healthy tree, it's going to produce apples. There's no sign, no strain. I don't, don't close my window at night because I can hear my apple tree groaning and straining to produce apples. And um, that, that's what this is. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So it's organic. What does that mean? The seed that produces the fruit is the word of God. The sower sows the seed. Hopefully there's some seed in what I'm saying today. Hopefully some seed will join with other seed that's in the soil of your heart and will produce the fruit of love in your life in increasing ways. The soil is the heart. And your circumstances, that's the ecosystem that this fruit is going to grow in. You need the right climate for growth, don't you? You know, the rainbow promise, one of the rainbow promises to Noah was that sea time and harvest will continue to the end of the world, summer and winter, cold and heat, light and day. These environments, these seasons are important for us to eventually have a harvest. Well, the circumstances of your life, God is in control. And these circumstances are your environment in order to produce the fruit of love. And how you engage with your circumstances will determine whether the fruit of God's love manifests in your life or whether you turn to the works of the flesh to try and make things work. That's why circumstances are so important. I, uh, often I will take my daughter for the day to um, a seaside town called Worthing. Now, I noticed that when I went to Worthing uh, over the years, that I could set off from London, it'd be freezing cold, raining, and then I'd just get over the hills to where Worthing was, and then all of a sudden there'd be no clouds, it would be sunny. And then I'd come out of Worthing, and then it would be cloudy and terrible all the way back. And I thought, why is Worthing seemingly always sunny? And then I found out that there was a, a special micro-ecological system there because of the hills that are around it. That's why they can grow so amazing tomatoes. It gives you a different environment. God has put you in the micro-environment of your circumstances. The devil might seem to want to do it for your harm, but there's something bigger going on. God is doing it for your good. And in every circumstance, that's why that difficult person's in your life. If you look at a lot of these fruit, they, they've got a lot to do with difficult people, aren't they? Maybe we're the difficult people. Well, you, you know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a lot to do with relationships, and pressure comes on relationships, including ours with God, when there's difficult times. But this is God's environment. We need summer seasons in our life. How many have managed to get, get away on holiday? I hope you had a good time. I hope it was a summer season for you. We need summer. We need spring seasons in our life. But you know what? Sometimes we need a winter season. Some of us have been through winter seasons. We don't want to go through those particular seasons again, but we're glad we did. Why? Because it produced something that was valuable. It produced fruit. So your heart is the soil. God's word to you is the seed. 
Your circumstances are the ecosystem, the seasons that God is putting you through to bring forth this fruit. And prayer and faith, these are the gardening skills that are required. You do need to garden your heart during these situations. And prayer and faith. You see, you cannot in any measure begin to grow in the fruit of love without a prayer life and relationship with God. You can't do it. Why? Because fear will arise. And because you're not taking your fear to God, fear will come out in your actions and reactions. Anger will arise. And because you're not dealing with God or taking the situation that's causing you to God or the person that's causing you to anger to God because you're not doing that, in the end, you'll have no uh, option but to let that anger out. Do you hear what I'm saying? Why? But God has given us prayer so that we can trust in him. Love God, then you can love your neighbor. Trust God and it will release you to love your neighbor. Why? Because your neighbor is not in charge. Why? Because your enemy is not in charge. Why? Because your boss is not in charge. Your circumstance is not in charge. Who's in charge? God. Well, if you get to know God well, if you get to to bring these circumstances to God, listen, this is the key, and say, your kingdom come. Not, Not my enemy's will. Not even my will in this circumstance. But your will be done. Your kingdom come in this circumstance. When you do that repeatedly, You get into a place of confidence with God where you can allow that fruit out. Why? Because you can be forgiving and grow in forgiveness. You can be patient and grow in patience. You can be loving and grow in loving. Why? Because God's in control. I don't have to fight back. Why? Because God is fighting for me. Not that I'm asking him to smash my enemy, but my enemy's not in control. You are better, you, you will deal with the problems of life better five minutes on your knees than weeks of worrying, anxiety, and trying to strategize your way without God. Five minutes on your knees. And sometimes you have to pray and keep praying. You have to knock and keep knocking. You have to seek and keep seeking. Why? Because God can sort, and sometimes He does, God can sort your problems out in a moment. But why doesn't he do it in a moment? Why do we need patience? Because he's waiting. Because he's doing something greater than solving your problems. He's solving your personality. That's what he's doing. That's why it's not happening. That's why you've not had the breakthrough yet in the circumstance. That's why, that's why you're praying, you're praying. Nothing's happened. No, something is happening. It's happening in you. Nothing's happened, God. Nothing's changed, God. Yes, something is happening in you. You're beginning to trust God grow in strength. This is how it works. You see, without a prayer life, then you can't allow, you can't garden your heart and begin to live in these ways. But with a prayer life, you can pray through the issues. Negative emotions that come to us, they're always going to come to us. Negative emotions, anger, hate, fear, bitterness. What are you going to do with those things? You take them to the Lord. I'm not saying that he'll solve them immediately, but you take them to the Lord, and what you do is you put that person who you're bitter with in God's hands. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. And then you don't have to act in bitterness. I know know this is simple, but it's true. 
That, that, that fear that comes to you, that fear, someone's going to rob you, someone's going to take your job, someone's going to do this, someone's going to take advantage of you, that fear, you pray God's will be done, God's kingdom come into that circumstance. Every time that fear comes, it's prayer fuel for praying God's will be done, God's kingdom come. Sometimes I've done this for ages, this fear has been strong about a situation, a circumstance. Every time it comes, I say, Lord, your will be done, your kingdom come, you're in control. And after a while, I get peace. I get peace. And if I didn't do that, that fear would sooner or later translate into words and actions of the flesh. I think you're getting what I'm saying today. Yeah, I think you do. So we'll bring it to a close. You know, love only works through prayer and faith. I'm not saying you have to be on your knees for 30 hours a day. This is a walk with the Lord. But this, these characteristics, which we've just touched on today, these are the kingdom characteristics. More important than getting results, kingdom results, God wants kingdom people. I think partly this morning when, when I had that, that devotion dropped into my heart, I shared it with you, but I think God was speaking to me primarily about the fact that it's the little things. Ah, but the little things don't matter. What about the big things for you, God? No, the little things matter because it's the little things that shape you. It's a little thing that God, because more than anything, more than anything, God wants to shape us even more than he wants to use us. But in shaping us with the fruit of love, he will be using us and the impact will take place. Well, as we bow our heads today, we remember that love is and that in 1 John 4.10, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Love is. If we were to write a love is cartoon, one of Kim Casali's cartoons, it wouldn't be a little boy and a little girl having pizza. It would be Jesus with his arms stretched on the cross. That's where God's love is. In a historic event, of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And they thought it was all over for Jesus. On the cross, love wins, love triumphs, love never fails. On the cross, it looked like love had failed at every moment and that the devil had won, the flesh had won, anger had won, Forceful hate had won and love had lost. But Jesus knew where the strength came to love. And even on the cross, he was praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that beautiful expression of total 100% love poured out on the world on the cross, it didn't fail. You're the fruit of the seed of Jesus' death here today if you're a Christian. And he rose again. Let me tell you something. Trust God. If love seems at a moment to fail or to be crushed, think of the cross. Love always rises again. Always, always, always. Everything fails in this life. Everything passes away. What does Paul say? The only thing that remains is love. 
Love is the only thing that remains. It cannot be conquered. May the Holy Spirit, we know this isn't more effort, do better, try harder, but we know where this starts. It starts in trusting God, leaning on the Lord in prayer. And then out of that comes the confidence and the freedom to release the characteristics that are already in us of love. Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray today that you will do a great work in all of our hearts. We can't do it. We can't do this. But you can. Together we can do something wonderful on the inside of our lives. Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we invite you, Holy Spirit. We're in circumstances. And in these circumstances, we turn to you in prayer put these things in your hand and ask that your kingdom will come and your will be done and nobody else's and then we trust you and we step out in the things that we know in the good fruit of love these descriptions are what we long to be and what we are deep down inside do a great work amongst us Lord so easy to be sucked into the world's way through fear anger Lord, help us. Let there be a divine revolution on every one of our hearts. And may we not judge the fruit of others, but may we encourage it in them. As we go on this journey together, 